Shalom everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Upper Room After Hours. Um, thanks very much for joining me, uh, it's a pleasure uh, to be here again. Um, we've got a packed one today, um, a lot to get through. Um, yeah, willing, we can uh, we can unpack some um, some pretty good topics, I'm excited to get into it and uh, yeah, I just, uh, I hope that this, uh, this uh, Find you well. Um, I hope you're, you're still dodging those fiery darts. And um, yeah, without further ado, I'm just gonna gonna crack straight into it because, uh, like I said, we've got a lot to get through. And um, uh, again, thanks for for taking the time to to join me. Um, I hope this blesses you. Um, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get straight into it. So um, my first uh, first subject that I came across uh, recently. Um, now, if you if you cast your mind back to the uh, the days of the the, the so called scamdemic, um, a lot of skullduggery, a lot of things that were taking place, which uh, uh, yeah, a lot of question marks, and uh, I, I think it was towards the tail end of of what was taking place. Um, there was the the passing of of uh, the influential and. Uh, uh, much loved uh, Rob Skiba and um, I think at the time as, as my memory serves me it's, it, it came a, a real surprise a real shock and it, it, it also it just didn't really rest too well in the spirit in terms of uh, the fit um, still a relatively young man um, obviously a, a high profile uh, individual um, still fit still active and uh, a guy that was advocating for truth in, in a lot of lot of areas and uh, arguably somewhat of a target um, so when the news came that he had actually passed away it was um, yeah it was it was a it was a shock and the, the way I see it is that I've been, uh, you know, fortunate. I've been blessed with uh, having this little, tiny little segment of the internet. And um, I just felt duty-bound to and compelled to actually uh, share what I, I came across recently. And um, because uh, pr- predominantly this this guy had a, a, a massive influence, particularly at the, the beginning stages of my walk. Uh, obviously, the he was very well known for his... Uh, ideas and 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 uh, thoughts on biblical cosmology but i think there was there was so much more to his ministry so much more to his life uh a lot of work that he did for the kingdom for the body of messiah and um i just thought uh for somebody that influenced and impacted me uh, on my walk it's only fair that uh, i shed some light on this on this area um because yeah, there was uh, there was dubious uh, dubious circumstances around his passing, and uh, at the time it just it just kind of f- not fell by the wayside. I just I just didn't know any more about what had taken place, and um, you know what what is done in the darkness will always be revealed, essentially. And uh, as I came across this, uh, what I'm going to show you today, uh, yeah, it, it made a lot of sense um, that after a, a period of time that. Uh, things do do get revealed, um, and th- th- there's one element to this story which 
uh, I do feel compelled to to go into as well is that um, much like in in the story and the 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 history and the, what took place at, at Calvary with Yeshua is what what appeared to be a great victory for for evil and for the enemy was actually uh, arguably the, the the apex of a uh, uh, victory for for the kingdom of of God, in terms of the uh, the sacrifice and and the crucifixion itself, and victory. You know, death. Where art thou, sting? It, it was a case where Yeshua had had conquered death, and and you know even the grave couldn't hold him. And now <laughs> I'm not for a second comparing uh, Rob with uh, with with Christ, but I think the the essence being even in death, uh, our our legacies and our impacts for the kingdom can still be uh, can still be carried out, uh, whether it be through the ones that we loved or or the work that's that's done previously. There there there, there can be many seeds essentially that are, are sown in our lives, which may only sprout later on in life, whether it be generationally or or just in in our ministry. And I think this could be one of those examples where obviously there was a great servitude, great work done in his life, but even in death, there can be triumph, there can be victory. And what can seem uh, to be a, a loss or a defeat actually plays in into the hand of, of God's sovereign plan and um, can actually uh, work out for, for the better of, uh, of, of his, uh, of his uh, plan essentially. So, um, yeah, with that being said, I just wanted to uh, to go into this video where basically um uh yeah, Rob's Rob's wife, uh Sheila, uh she did a, a talk uh, at a conference. I want to say it was in Atlanta in the states, but uh I'm not too sure. Um but essentially it's a it's a it's a revealing of the circumstances and what took place in and around the time of Rob's death. Also, um, a, a testimony, a sharing of the testimony of, of, of that time and that period. Uh, I, I would highly recommend that you um, you take a look at the, at the the full video. It's available on uh, Rob Skeeber's uh, YouTube, and um, it's, it's it's beautiful because again, it, it reveals a bit more about the man. It reveals a bit more about uh, his work for the kingdom. Uh, and again, because there's that association with you know Genesis six, Nephilim, and 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 you know biblical cosmos, all of that stuff. But it just reveals a bit more and a bit more about uh, his relationship with his with his wife as well. And um, you know we, we we've got uh, some Rob in our fellowship who who's met uh, met these guys and has nothing but good good things to say. Uh, I know he he he'd be uh, he'd be touched by this also, but. Um, I think more importantly, I think there's a message in here. I think there's there's a, a revealing of truth uh, taking place, and I just like I said, I feel sort of duty bound to to share and um, uh, see what you guys think. So, uh, when Rob got sick in August of 2021, he went to take on the world, and I always traveled with him, but he told me this time that, that he didn't want me to go, and because of and, and quarantining and all that. And he was like, I just, I want you safe. He was worried about my house. So I said, okay, tried to get him to just do Zoom. And he said, no, I have to be there. And I said, okay. So he went. And when he came back, he was fine. He was fine. But um, he started coughing and, um, and it kind of kept going on and on. And days went by and he, and, he, and I, you know, we had, all, we had all the ivermectin and all the stuff that they, you know, we had all the frontline doctor stuff. 
And we were trying, and uh, it, they do it through telemed, so we had called in the prescription. And, I, and so when, when it kept lingering on and on, I would tell Rob, we need to go somewhere or something because you're not getting any better. You're not able to um, eat, and you're not able to drink, and you're not able to swallow pills. And I'm like, but he was very stubborn. And he was like, no, they're not going to shove a Q-tip up my nose. So he stayed. So I called him, and they said, take him to the ER. So I felt like, you know, since they were front line aligned, I thought, okay. Because I had been to the hospital many times. My dad got a pacemaker there. They had, they had excellent emergency care in, in the years past. And so I didn't think anything of it, and I took him. And, um, and it was a nightmare, really. And I'm not going to go into the details because I've spent the last year and a half of my life working on this book, the protocol that kills, I guess, what was up there. And um, I'm just going to give you a few, a few nuggets of what I've gotten from this. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, Rob's admitted to the hospital. Um, he's feeling unwell. Um, and these guys are smart. They know the, the score. They know what's taking place. Um, and um, also, as, as, as she mentions there, she's released a book, uh, The Protocol That Kills. Uh, I've not read it myself as yet, but um, I believe it, it, it charted like number one on Amazon uh, medical based books. Um, uh, again, it, it chronicles the, the time in which uh, he was in hospital and all of the things that took place in, in and around um, in and around that time. So, so he's admitted to the hospital. Um, he's sick. And they're also um, skeptical of, of the situation in and around uh, the hospital. So skip forward. The very first thing. That's kind of the season of the, or, or the reason for all of this. And that's kind of, I guess, why the father gave me that word today. So it was 40 days. He lived 40 days in the hospital. And... It was during the fall feast, which, you know, I never in a million years thought I was going to lose them, ever. And so, and it kept falling on special days. And people say, now's the time, you know, because, and, and all the details are in the book. I didn't hold anything back. So early, early on, like the day two of him being there, because I, I could talk to him, but I couldn't see him. They, they locked me out for 21 days. So, and we were talking and we were texting and all those are in the book. I mean, everything, everything is in the book. Um, I didn't think they were, I, I, I kind of had a hesitation leaving him there, but I felt like he could, he was strong enough to hold his own and he needed oxygen. Cause it, and that's what I forgot to tell you. His oxygen level got down to 70 and they told me, take him to the ER, the, the frontline American telemed people. So that's why I did it. And uh, I felt a little uneasy because the only thing they wanted me to uh, answer for his medical history was, was he And I said, no. I'm like, since when does that matter? I mean, really? So uh, they wheeled him off, literally escorted me out, and I'm not going to go into the details of that, but it was, it was excruciating. And I thought they were going to settle him in and then let me in, but no, they had a plan, and they had a plan to keep me out for 21 days. But I, I still kept holding on to faith, and I, I still kept believing that he was going to make a way. And I, uh, I gathered a team of people together, doctors, uh, nurses. Um, he was strong enough to get me into my chart, which is interesting because one of the nurses said, you don't get that until after discharge. And I said, no, because I take care of senior citizens. You get it real time. I need, we, need, we need it. And he was able, actually able to call me and 
help me do that. And so I had, I had a team of people looking at his charts like every day. But anyway, back to the day two when it was in there, I got hit, my phone was ringing, it was Rob. And my mom and sister were with me. I said, oh, it's Rob, it's Rob. So we, we answered it and it, was, it wasn't Rob, it was a doctor. And he was literally yelling at me that my husband needed to be put on a ventilator and, if, and, and I said, no, he doesn't need a ventilator. His oxygen went from 70 to 90, 96 actually. And uh, they said, and, and then he just kept on. He said, uh, if, you don't, if your husband doesn't get put on a ventilator, he's gonna die. Do you want your husband to die? And he was talking to me like that in front of my mom, my sister, and Rob. I mean, since when do you talk like that in front of the patient? It's just so weird. And I will say that it's not a one-off story because I've, taught, I've met so many, probably hundreds of people that had the same exact story, same exact, exact script. So I have a piece of paper back there that's free. It's called Script of Death. And I'm telling you right now, every single story is the same. So I want to know who wrote the script and how did they deliver it to the hospitals? That's the one thing I want. I think they should be held accountable. They should show us how many people in that hospital that was not died of whatever. And um, so that's one thing that I'm praying for because I believe we have the right to know. Yeah. Um, like I said, the, these guys... Um incredibly smart they knew they knew the routine uh, she obviously has a history in and around uh, medical care and, and knows the protocol so immediately there's uh, there's a lot of red flags in terms of what was taking place in and around his situation and um yeah obviously as we uh, as we go along it sort of unravels unravels further yeah so that happened okay i did i just wanted to let you know why i decided to record the calls because i never thought rob was going to die he was healthy he was the healthiest person i knew in fact when he was uh, 50 he had a goal to be in the same shape that he was at 25 and so you can see it on facebook he uh he showed a picture of him at 25 and then 50 and i mean he got a trainer he was working out twice a week i mean he was in the best shape of his life so i kept believing and even the even the day he died I didn't think I don't I didn't think it was time. I, I thought he could pull through, and I, and we had even had another hospital that was going to take him. And anyway, as you read the book, you you will see my journey. It's 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 a day by day journal. But so again, he's in amazing health, the best health that he's been in all his life. Um, also, there's a there's a correlation. Uh, how many uh, stories have we seen in in the media with regards to relatively young fit? healthy people who have fallen by the wayside uh, for whatever reason I, I i don't know but there's there's enough going on there to um you know to 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 make you feel uncomfortable um and then um this is th this next part is an area in which i know pe personally people are familiar with in terms of when it comes to uh, consent uh, and what takes place in hospitals now when i say this uh i'm going to stick to the premise that there are good people in these institutions and not everybody is a satanic murderous, uh, you know, in on the plot. But at the same time, um, like I said, I, I know people personally that have encountered issues with, with family members, with loved ones who are in compromised situations within hospitals and have, and have come across either high degrees of ineptitude or, um, even worse, maybe more sinister circumstances with regards to uh, the deterioration and ultimately the death of, of, of loved ones. Um, so I know a lot of people who 
I say a lot. I know a few people who have been affected by this, and it just so happens that somebody who who is high high profile in the context of uh, uh, the Christian world, and uh, this took place. So, yeah, this this focuses on the, the lack of consent and the things that, that that took place around it as well. So, needed, and anybody I ask, I have not yet found one person who was vaccinated. So I think that number needs to be given to us as well. Even the consent forms were not signed. And, and uh, my son had a big problem with that. So we got the, we got the record again in December, just in December in uh, 2020, 2022. And they gave us another record. They kind of messed with us a little bit because we got home and the CD was blank. So we went back and uh, we got another record. It had a few extra pages and we looked through it. And then with a lot of back and forth, we got three documents that were kind of like admissions, you know, uh, uh, whatever the HIPAA thing is, and then something else. And it had a little squiggly on it, like a signature. And I was like, and that's not my signature. And I know it's not Rob's signature. I don't know what this is. And my son said, well, it says there's a witness right here. And he pointed to her name. And I said, oh, I've got a great idea. We got to, you know, let's go up there just nonchalantly and ask if she works, if she's working today. And so we did. And we went up there and we found her. And so we sat down with her and we told her, you know, that my husband was in the hospital. I just wanted to know, you know, what, what this paper was like, what's this word? Cause it's not my signature and it's not my husband's. And that's in the book. It's like at the very end, the last like uh, six pages, all of this is in the book. And, um, I think that's fraud. I think I'm not 100%. I'm not an attorney, but I think that's fraud. And and they did it really weird. Like they they circled the word spouse, but they put the word verbal. And then they had there's another place that says if you are not the person, you know, the patient, sign your name and an address. And that was blank. So it was it was kind of like a hodgepodge of answers, and uh, it, it really bothered me. And so we we went up there to confront it, and um, they said, well. He probably, we probably called him because he was in isolation to see, and then, you know, and then we would have put verbal, and that we normally, it's our procedure to uh, record it, and I said, well, I need that. I need to hear my husband's voice saying yes, because he wasn't going to do it. He told me, trying everything they can to get me to get on a ventilator, I'm dead if I do, so he wasn't ever going to do it. In fact, he had a wristband that said DNI, do not intubate, and I want to know someday who took that off of his wrist, because I talked to him that morning. I talked to him that morning. And so um, I can't live in the past, though. I can't, you know, because if he had. Yeah, so um, some amazing uh, uh, bits of information there. Um, again, I, I thoroughly recommend you go uh, and, and watch the full video. It's only about an hour long, but it's. Uh, it's a beautiful testimony. It's laced with some amazing, um, amazing stuff. And um, again, I, I just felt compelled to, to to share this and shed some light on it because uh, I don't think that story is by any means finished. And I'd also like to think that if if it was me, others would be would be doing the same. And um, yeah. There are there are many people that have been affected by that whole uh, situation, and the narrative is is continuing. Um, but yeah, 
because there are many of us who are familiar with his work who who came into the faith in and around at the time of his of his prominence and uh he did have a massive impact and i hope uh, and pray that he continues to have an impact and um you know i hope and i pray that is is that sheila is is uh, strengthened and emboldened to carry on uh, she mentions in uh, in a testimony how she essentially becomes the uh, persistent widow uh, again a very strong testimony but uh, you can't help but be touched by um, the situation and what she's trying to do. So, um, yeah, of course, if you led, go check it out. Um, have a look at the book and um, see how you're led on the situation. If there's anything you're you're led to do in terms of um, supporting, helping, or even just having the the the, the discourse in and around the the, the subject, um, I think that's that's probably the. The, the least we can do so um yeah that's that's rob um and uh yeah i thoroughly really i just really appreciate all the work that he, that he did for for the body and I, I just pray that it continues so so were you were you affected by any of uh, any of these uh, areas um, is it just a series of mistakes? Is it ineptitude or, or is there a bigger agenda going on? Um, but as I said, if you led, feel free to, to head on over and check it out yourself. And um, yeah. our uh oh, the next section um this is a bit of a humdinger it's uh is a heavy hitter um i uh this is a subject by which there are so many areas in which we can dive into um it's very hard to uh look at the media turn on the tv or, or just generally in life um this is a subject that's very uh hard to ignore uh one that is uh, growing at an exponential rate and is having a massive influence in in all areas of life um i wanted to get into today the, the specifics of uh artificial intelligence but in the context of its uh historical roots and relationship to to the occult um as I mentioned there, we could uh, we could get into the religious aspect, we could get into the cultural aspect, arts, uh, media, politics, and um, but what I really wanted to focus on today was its historical relationship. So if we we go into the the premise of you know that there is nothing new under the sun, and I always had a thought associated with this subject in terms of what sets this time apart from any any time else in 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 history is the uh is the increase and use of technology um but having looked at this subject it becomes more apparent that this isn't anything new 
um, that this has been around for a very long time. And um, I thought it'd be good just to uh, just to get into a, a bit of a context and a backdrop to to the subject, because this is something that will inevitably uh, uh, that we'll go into over periods of time. Like I said, that there's so many avenues and I'm really going to have to rein myself in in terms of like staying on track um, because it's such an all-encompassing uh, premise. Um, f- for me, there, there's there, there's an uh, there's three main weaknesses in the human condition in our fallen state. I, I believe that's the the desire for power, for for money, and sex, and a lot of the downfalls of human nature can be um, put into any of these, uh, either of these categories. Uh, I'm not saying it's defined by those three, but for the most part. Um, And that's why I I believe that this, this, uh, this subject carries, it carries so much weight in so many areas because it's influencing um, so much. It's so broad. Um, But if we, uh, if we bear in mind the infamous Elon Musk uh, saying, fairly recently that we are we are summoning a demon apparently um and this is from one of the advocates of of artificial intelligence at least one of the facilitators uh of the uh, of the subject and um that is almost the essence of what i'm looking to get into today are we are we summoning the demon um has pandora's box been opened has it been opened before and what are we uh, witnessing in terms of um, the, the 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 time in which we stand in, uh, in terms of the the, the revealing and the uh, the evolution of this subject? And that's why I thought I wanted it would be good to focus on, on on more of the historical element, and in particular its roots in the occult, in the hidden, in the uh, in the shadows. Um. Now, in terms of a biblical context, we can we can uh, look at Genesis in, in terms of the, the blueprint in which you know uh, God Yahweh he created man from the dust and breathed life into him, and thus Adam and life was was created. And I, I think we can see uh, a a relationship to the imitation of this and how man has co opted with uh with the enemy in, in terms of replicating uh replicating this so um just for a kickoff i wanted to uh to get into it, show you a clip uh with a guy called uh mo uh gordat he's a um he's an egyptian guy uh he used to work for um he was like head of google he was an executive in google and pretty much a, a guru in terms of uh, what's going on in 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 the world of AI. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to to, to play this as, for a bit of context before we uh, uh, yeah before we get into it. So nearly twenty years ago, the movie I Robot warned warned us of an impending robot revolution powered by artificial intelligence that views humanity as scum. Now, what was once science fiction has become a paramount concern for tech executives and futurists. How will artificial intelligence view us humans if it becomes conscious? 
And what can we do to make sure that it will work with us? To help us answer that question, I'm joined by Mo Gaudat, former chief business officer for Google's secretive research and development lab X. He is the second former Google employee to formally speak, formally speak out against artificial intelligence. Mo is also the author of Scary Smart, The Future of Artificial Intelligence and How You Can Save Our World. So, Mo, as a starting place, how would artificial intelligence get this impression of humanity? Is it, and is it inevitable? It is 100% inevitable. What, what's happening today is that uh, we have produced the ability for machines to produce their own intelligence. When, uh, when, we, when we allow a, a machine to control any kind of operation, simply take a, a, a recommendation engine on social media, for example, what that machine is doing is it's not learning from the developer's code, rather it's learning a lot more from the input that we give it. What content is out there? What's the overall preference of uh, users of the social media? And then specifically, what do I like and not like? All of that is information that basically creates an impression. For Just on a side note, you'll see that there's a program called Google Bard and... Uh a bard actually historically has a, a relationships to ancient druidism, um, the poets and the songwriters. And again, I just think these hat tips to these um, uh, these kind of occult um, themes are quite prevalent through all of even the, through the naming of these programs. For that machine, about what humanity is all about, and as you can see, over time trends start to build and accelerate. Uh, because our human behavior accumulates and accumulates and creates that machine understanding. And why, though, Mo, would the machine naturally or necessarily gravitate towards the worst of us when, uh, though they may be in some corners, there is sweetness and light and the best of humanity available on social media, too? I 100% agree, John. Thank you for bringing this up. Oh, I often get asked the question, if machines are observing our uh, you know, news coverage and social media and so on, there seems to be a negativity bias in humanity that basically uh, makes us show the worst side of us sometimes. But the reality is that humanity at heart is honestly a divine species. If you can, you know, feel love or you can compose a symphony of music, this is a divine species in every way. But the problem is, for through the development of AI, the first impression that you get if you're constantly exposed to uh, stories of uh, negativity and violence and, you know, uh, uh, greed and so on, the first impression might actually lead AI to believe that humanity is not that great. And I think the idea and the biggest uh, uh, call to action in my book, Scary Smart, has been that humanity needs to step up. The good ones of us need to actually engage and show that we as humans have a lot more than just being rude to each other or being aggressive with each other. And I want to get and uh, not negating the truth in the sentiment that this is uh, that we are dealing with, you know, a divine uh, creation in essence. But uh, one thing that, that these guys seem to to miss is the uh, is the essence of the fall uh, and man's uh, hu uh, flawed and fallen nature, and also the backdrop of the narrative that's taken place throughout history, <clears throat> where we've got two seeds. Essentially, we have the seed of uh, Adam, we have the seed of Yeshua, and, and, and we also have the, the seed of Satan. And I'm not talking about serpent seed doctrine. I'm talking about the this replication that's been um, 
dualistically taking place throughout history and when we're seeing this uh, take part so it's he's right but at the same time it's like there's a lot of the context that's missing to to this narrative get to that question of solutions first of all given your experience working at the cutting edge of creativity help us understand the the freedom you need and the genius that's required to create things that no one has thought of but then once you've done that how you pull in restraint how you stop from your this wonderful creation you've just made that's the product of your own creativity. How does one fit, find that balance inside Google or anywhere else? I, I think you're starting to see a lot of us actually, uh, you know, executives of, of technology and computer scientists uh, that are su starting to suddenly realize. I mean, for, for a very long time, we truly and honestly believed we were doing the best thing we could ever do to humanity. I mean, in reality, there's nothing wrong with intelligence. There is absolutely nothing wrong with more intelligence. Intelligence is what created our civilization. The challenge is, uh, first of all, AI seems to be developing a lot faster than we, did, uh, than we thought. Uh, we, we, uh, we assumed that by the time AI will be out on the open internet, which, is, which it is already by uh, today, everyone is interacted interacting with ChatGPT and the likes and so many other tools, uh, that, that by then we will have solved the control problem. We are nowhere near solving the control problem. There are no controls whatsoever on uh, the, the ability of AI to engage and its, you know, its agency in the world, to be, uh, to be precise. And third and most important is, uh, as you know, the father of AI, if you want, uh, uh, Marvin Minsky, when he was asked about the threat of AI, he said, we have no way to make sure that they have our best interest in mind. And, and in reality, even though most people are talking about AI as an existential threat, like what you saw on in RoboCup, I don't warn against, against that at all. I'm I mean, a lot earlier than that, it's it's a bit of an Oppenheimer moment, if you want. It's, you know, so much power that can be concentrated in some hands that could lead AI to be used for things that are against humanity. So much disruption for the fabric of society that we need to pause and question and ask, are we ready for all of that change or are we just rushing way too fast in, in, into an area that we don't understand? Yeah, so some some real interesting points that he's, that he's uh, raised there. Um, now, I think one of the first questions or the, the one of the first uh, constructs we've got to wrestle with is this idea of the the sentience, uh, the the, the so-called consciousness of, of AI, where um, if you're looking at looking at it from a, a technical point of view, it's the, it's the sum total of uh, information and data being put into uh, an area uh, through the use of software, technology, etc. And that information, that data is then essentially regurgitated um, back to us through algorithms and everything else. So the question is, is this a mere regurgitation of information or is there sentience and a consciousness that's associated um, to uh, this power, this force that's operating behind um, behind this 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 construct um so that's something just to bear in mind as we as we walk through this and um you are going to have to walk with me as we go through it um but uh, essentially th this question of like is is there really uh, uh, is there really uh, a demon behind the screen or 
or or is this just an amalgamation of, of data being uh, reused uh, in a, a very high level? Of course, it's a very high level, but is this just uh, um, a regurgitation? With that being said, I, I just wanted to, um, and again, this uh, this guy, there's there's a lot a lot of stuff out there in terms of what he puts out, and uh, it's it's all pretty interesting. And again, I have to be extremely disciplined in terms of what to go into and what to show because there's so much. The, the rate in which this is increasing is just absolutely ridiculous. Like almost on a daily basis, there's some form of revelation or, or development which uh, just blows your socks off. But um, let's uh, let's take it back a little bit. And um, I wanted to go into one of the, the, the archetypes of, of this question of, of power creation and man's uh, determination to, uh, as it says in, in Genesis, um, surely uh, you, you, you shall be as God. And this, this notion of man wanting to play God, uh, that he wants to, uh, whether he's being manipulated, to, uh, manipulated by the enemy, to, to create this artificial premise of, uh, of, of creation. And uh, I think one of the most beautiful uh, illustrations of this is uh, the classic Frankenstein. And you, you can get like university degree level hypothesis dissertation level on it. And you really can because there, there's so much nuance to it. But I think this, this scene, I came across this scene, which uh, I think really, um, uh, really capped captures that element of power creation and um uh yeah so we'll just uh just let it play out you two. to be god uh 
yeah, when I watched that, uh, I was like, oh, wow, like that's, yeah, that's serious. But um, yeah, uh, I think in terms of the, the modern context of, um, uh, of this principle of, of creating something uh, ourselves uh, is really summed up so well by, by Frankenstein. Uh, and so uh, with that, we'll, we'll, we'll dive a bit further. Um, now, in terms of uh, the modern incantation of, of robots and consciousness, uh, as I said, this this has been something that's been taking place for a very long time. You can go, you can go as far far back as uh, ancient Egypt, Alexandria. There's 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 it's very much steeped in ancient cultures. This relationship between um, uh, statues. Um, consciousness, movement, and veneration of these these idols, um, but we'll be looking more in terms of like relatively recent history. Now, the the, the one of the first ones I came across was Giannella uh, uh, della Torre's Praying Monk that was made in and around the the fifteen hundreds, um, which is basically like a clockwork praying monk, um, which would give the appearance of uh, yeah consciousness. And the uh, premise being that it's a, a monk that's perpetually giving praise and and, and praying to to God, and um, real spooky looking fella, um, but it's just a good kickoff to to illustrate that this this idea of uh, amalgamating uh, consciousness and uh, and matter in, in our hands is uh, it's been it's been around for for a long time and. It's kind of led me into a, uh, in and around the sort of early 1900s, you've got, um, you know, Faust here. I don't know if, if you're familiar with Faust, but it's the story of the guy who makes a, a pact uh, with the devil and all of the, the tropes that come with that. And uh, here we have this uh, incantation of a, of, a, of a spirit and uh, contacting the spirit realm. So, um as you can see, we, we're going into the realms of occultism and this this necromancy, this summoning spirits and using vessels as a as a way in which we can um, contact uh, the dead and and communicate. Which obviously, from a biblical perspective, is uh, is an abomination, um, and we're not in uh, not inclined to do so now. Uh, I came across this this fella. Um, his name is Jean Eugene Robert Houdin. Now Houdin was uh, a guy which the uh, famous uh, Harry Houdini took his name from. Uh, now Houdin was the the founding father of modern magic, and I think this uh, this illustrates very well this idea of uh, almost like a ventriloquism. Uh, you know this 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 puppeteering of something that's presented as, as something that's alive but it but it is in fact uh, isn't now it, it kind of encapsulates this vaudevillian parlor parlor uh, game image of of conjuring uh, conjuring demons and spirits and 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 using it as a way of uh, either entertaining uh, either entertaining or, or, or scaring people um here we go this is a Yeah, I'm not even gonna try and pronounce that. But there's there's a whole like there's a whole culture of these like guys who were, um, yeah, using 
what's known as uh, automatons, which is the, the, the word for, for robots, this automata of, of uh, presenting a, 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 a moving thing. And um, yeah, uh, it's just, it's absolutely littered through, throughout history. You, you've also got this premise of what's known as the brazen head, um, which uh, again, you, you, you have this head, you have this uh, image uh, by which you can summon a spirit or demon and talk to it. And uh, quite often there are, there is a prophetic element associated with these uh, entities uh, they weren't necessarily just for entertainment. It was for, yeah, prophetic utterances, fortune telling. And um, actually throughout culture and entertainment, there's there's so many of these these brazen head uh, images and, and uses that are, that are used throughout time. And, um, you know, we have uh, this one here. Again, an Elizabethan woodcut of uh, this idea of a, a head, a talking head, and consulting these these talking heads for for, for many different reasons. Um, but yeah, this this kind of like premise of a, almost like a an Ouija board, uh, an an area in which you can contact the, the other realm is uh, now there is a, a term in the Greek. Uh, telesteke, uh, which is uh, by definition the theurgical operation by which a god or a demon is is received in a statue or other image in order to ensoul the image and facilitate communication with the with the being in, in form of an image. Now, th- this is a rabbit hole in itself because there are there are there's a long history of, uh, I guess, even religious idolatry and the veneration of statues. Uh, or ven- veneration of gods through statues. Um, I think we even get a glimpse of it in, in modern day where it's, you know, statues that cry and move and uh, th- this this power behind something that's uh, actually inanimate. Um, but obviously when you have this mystical association, you then start to think, well, is there a power? Is there a principality? Uh, this, this operating um, uh, behind it. Um, yeah, it's uh, again this telesteke from the Aramaic. Oh, this from the phrase I won't repeat it. Uh, I will create as I speak, related to the word abraxas, derived from the ancient Greek word for God, which uh, possesses magical or sacred qualities, an incantation, spell, ritual, or, or prayer. Um, so, I just wanted to build that picture that it's it's very hard to to separate this idea of uh, robotics, automata. Um, and, and spiritualism and, and religious uh, connotations uh, associated to it. Now, obviously, we've got the uh, infamous uh, John D, who was a um, a consult to uh, to the to royalty. I think it was Queen Elizabeth the first, maybe. Uh, he's also a, a, an adept occultist. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of you out there who've done done research on this guy, but his uh, his influence uh, with regards to Enochian magic, uh, summoning demons. There's, um, I think, this infamous image. Let's have a look. Yeah, uh, John Dee and Edward Kelly is a famous story. Of them summoning a, a spirit uh, in a graveyard. Um, 
again, it's it's a uh, it's this premise of uh, a long history of um, people being naughty, basically trying to contact the the other side of of the of the veil. Um, now, just to uh, make things slightly more convoluted. Now, at this point, um, I have to confess my. Um, my understanding or where I was at with regards to AI is that there is the 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 dim, my the premise being the demonic being on the other side of the realm trying to influence and infiltrate this reality uh, through uh, robots or automata, humankind, whatever. And it's at this point as I as I'm researching that I began to see a, a nuance within the realms of the occult. Um, so as an example here, we've got um, what's known as a, a Aquinas's uh, brazen head, where um, illustrated here is, is this brazen head, and underneath you've got a, uh, a guy operating this head, creating the illusion that there is indeed a, a spirit or a power behind this statue. And uh, in this depiction here, you have this monk, uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, smashing the, the brazen head of Albertus, Albertus Magnus, um, and which actually led me into this realm of um, uh, illusion, whereby there are, there's, a, there's a famous chess-playing Turk, where it's a... a, a, a a, a, a mannequin robot um, who gives the appearance of playing chess, but there's actually somebody operating it behind uh, closed doors. And um, yeah, for, again, for the most part, it's like, oh, it's it's there's a demon, there's a spirit behind it, but it's actually just a man behind, you know, behind the the curtain, as it were. And uh, it got me thinking because in the in the premise of um, the occult. You, you have two factions of two streams of thought. You you have the the evil, you know, manifestation of the the demonic within occultism, but you've also got the fraudulent, the hidden hand that's taking part in the occult. So I started to question this narrative of to to what extent in a modern uh, construct are we witnessing a legitimate infiltration of the demonic into this dimension and how much of this could be a sleight of hand. Now, the likes of Houdini, uh, Houdin, these guys were actually uh, debunkers. They, they, they weren't too fond of those that would do the parlor tricks and the, the, the sleight of hand. And um, they wanted to, to demystify this premise. And as I started to um, look at this, look at this, uh, uh, premise I was it made me think of um, Wizard of Oz and uh, lo and behold we've got the uh, the brazen head the man behind the curtain you know and we're all familiar with the with the story of the Wizard of Oz again there's probably a whole podcast on that but you've got this massive head this flames of fire this this demonic you know uh appearance of you know omnipotent scary uh thing which you know on first sight you're like oh gosh you know what a threatening premise 
But then lo and behold, um, there is uh, the man behind the curtain. And uh, yeah, if you're familiar with the story, the 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 protagonists are in the they 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 get to the Wizard of Oz parlor. They they pull the curtain back, and it's just a, an old man just behind the curtain operating this almost this puppet puppet that's that's manipulating the whole kingdom. And um, I then got into the, the the this notion of um, are we are we witnessing a uh, a similar premise with regards to to artificial intelligence. Now, I'm not for a second negating that the threat, the the um, the potential for destruction and and everything else. But I I was experiencing a sense of demystification, and if you can demystify something, it takes the power away. So we're obviously instructed as a body of believers to to walk. We don't walk with with fear, you know. We walk with the gospel of of peace on our boots. <clears throat> with authority to stand on cobra, scorpion, serpent, lion, AI, sex, robots, whatever. Like, we're not given to a spirit of fear. And so I just wanted to uh, uh, just walk through this premise of, like, there is this this history of, 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 a, of a parlor trick. And again, I'm not saying I have the answer with regards to the validity of what this this is because I, I still lean towards the premise of like yes there is a, a demonic influence there is a, an in, infiltration taking place however are we in danger as a body of believers of giving this too much power do we need to be informed do we need to uh, be aware of what's taking place in real time of course but let's let's break this down and let's look at the the history of of how this has evolved we see this correlation between robots. Uh, we see this correlation of necromancy. I mean, we only have to look in the Bible. We see we see King Saul, the witch of Endor. And that, even that brings its own questions of, is that really the ghost of Samuel? Is it a familiar spirit? Like, there's, there's so much conjecture in and around this. So it still comes down to this essential premise of, like, is it sentient? Is it conscious? Or is it just a parlor trick and you think in the context of these 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 protagonists in in modern day culture you Elon musks and uh all these all these like leaders like they're wizards they're wizards they're cowards and i think sometimes we need to like just break these these puppeteers down a little bit and say hang on a second we serve the most high god who mm. is providential who who rules from high who 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 Nothing happens without his say-so, and he uses these uh, entities and these powers and principalities as a tool to exercise his dominion and his plan and his purpose. So I think, yeah, I, I'm hoping to illustrate this this demystifying of, of what AI is. Now, don't get me wrong. Is, it, is there an awe? Is, there, is, there a, is it going to blow your head off? Uh, absolutely, 100%. But... I wanted to, to to show this history a little bit and then bring it up to to modern day, um, whereby you know we have in in Hollywood, we we have in uh, culture in general this this uh, propaganda of of robots and and sentience. Um, again, this is a, an image from uh, Fritz Lang's uh, Metropolis, a film from the nineteen twenties, which again, like 
do you know what I mean? You've got the pentagram there, the robot, um, this this uh, essence of conjuring and uh, facilitating um, this this uh, consciousness. Um, also, um, we've got in uh, even uh, Jewish mysticism, we have the this this Frankenstein construct of of the golem. Uh, again, you can take a look at this. It's, it's whereby you can create a, 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 a almost like a doll or a being, and if you do a certain ritual or incantation, uh, it then comes to life. And uh, yeah, so this this is illustrated in the in the film uh, De Gollum. Uh, so let's take a look. really like about uh this clip is that it encapsulates a lot of these elements uh it's pretty you'll be hard pressed to find uh this narrative or a film that doesn't involve robotics and life and everything else where there isn't like a lightning strike thing going on where it says you know in luke that behold that satan falls like uh, as lightning and there's always this this hat tip to, to lightning and, and the life coming through um but the premise with the golem is that you know this 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 rabbi uh, he uh, he does a spell and incantation in order for this golem to save the the, the Jewish people. Uh, I don't know if it's in the Czech Republic or Germany uh, that are facing oppression, that are facing uh, um, uh, danger, and so he creates this this thing in in order to help them. Which is again as an archetype that's prevalent in in a lot of uh, modern Hollywood uh, um, films based on. Uh, robots and and an ai that, that these are, are here to free uh an oppressed people um and they're here to, to to help and to you know if used out of the clutches of the 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 elites it, it can be used for freedom um but <laughs> as it always does it just goes wavy and the the monster just goes mad and does does whatever it wants um but yeah even th th there's a, there's a there's an association with this in, in a lot of cultures and uh, i just always thought the the golem was an interesting uh facet uh, an idea into that um 
Which brings me into the uh, the notion of um, the, the sympathy for sentience. Um, I believe that there's been a, a, a programming that's taken place over a long period of time with regards to our sympathy towards these these creations. It's like we, we, we build these robots, we build these Frankensteins and they come to life and then we have this empathy and sim- sympathy attached to their, you know, there's a there's an, a famous scene in Frankenstein where the the mob are chasing Frankenstein with with you know flaming torches and you actually feel yourself like rooting for the monster and you're like oh that, he's got feelings he's got emotions he's just like us and again we have this this uh, premise uh, associated with 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 this modern context of AI of, of sentience and and whatnot um, so with regards to sympathy um, now. Hollywood is just absolutely littered with like this narrative and this is for the old heads there's a famous film called Short Circuit uh uh it was massive it was absolutely huge but again this is another indication in a modern context that this has been a a narrative that's been portrayed for for a long time It's the ultimate soldier. It doesn't get happy, it doesn't get sad, it doesn't laugh at your jokes. It is quite simply Jim. the most sophisticated robot on Earth. Tonic. At Nova Robotics, the future is in good hands. You do real good. Just keep working on those last two bars. Thanks to Dr. Newton Crosby. Originally, I designed it as a marital aid. But artificial intelligence has gotten too smart. No. It's malfunctioning. It might not do anything. But it could decide to blow away anything that moves, couldn't it? Because $11 million worth of robots. But just hit the road. Wow! Number five is alive. Welcome to my planet. You just have to find number five, get some answers. Why don't you come on in my house? And it's got a lot of living to do. Whatever it takes to put that stupid contraption out of commission, that's what you do. Me input. Haven't had enough of this stuff. More input. More input. And they can seem quite lifelike, but they are still machines. Oh. Number five is alive. Nice software. How it happens, who knows, but it has happened. A new comedy adventure from John Badham, the director of War Games. We're going to be after you. we got to get out of here now. Keep alive! Ali Sheedy, Steve Gutenberg, and number five. Beautiful. Short Circuit. I am alive. Um, and again, this, this this narrative goes on. There's so many films, there's so many movies where, where, where this sympathy and rooting for for the machine and, and uh, protection uh, starts to 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 come into to play. Um, and quite a lot of you know programming and and narratives that have taken a long time. Like they just they're just steeped into public consciousness like so uh, softly that when they're actually rolled out in real life. Um, you know, people have been prepared. You've got so many. You've got uh, what is it? Two thousand one Space Odyssey, nine, How Nine Thousand. You know, the premise of artificial intelligence turning on its creator. Uh, you've got Terminator when Arnie sacrifices himself for for the boy. It's like, oh, you know, Wally. Like it, it, it is literally endless. This premise of like sympathizing and rooting for for this uh for this so-called being that isn't isn't sentient so um yeah i just thought that was uh pretty interesting so 
like I said, I've had to really like just stay on this premise because there, there's a lot uh, taking place in and around the whole subject. But I just thought this this last clip, this final clip, it really, uh, for me, it was a bit of an eye-opener in terms of what it means to us as a, as a body of believers. So um, we'll, we'll finish how we started, and that's with, uh, with good old Frankenstein. Dr. Bowman's been murdered in the tower. The monster. He's been seen in the hills terrorizing the mountainside. He's in the house. He's upstairs. Frankenstein, he's out, he's running amok, he's causing panic, distress, and everything else. What have we got? It's the bride. She's she's completely unaware what's what's taking place. She knows something's up, but it's right behind her. Yeah, that just said a lot uh, to me um, in terms of uh, what that represents, just in a nutshell. You, you've got the monster on the loose, uh, obviously conjecture in terms of how and why that come to be. But the bride's just sat there, she's pacing back and forth, she's waiting, and uh, she's completely unawares until until it's a bit bit too late. So uh, I don't know if there's a if there's a deeper message in there, but it just uh, made me chuckle, um, and I thought that'd be a nice nice way to end that. So um, yeah, I hope I hope you uh, you enjoyed the ride there, and um, yeah, hopefully uh, we can get into uh, uh, different areas in in the future. So. So what is it? Man? Beast? Is it a demon? Is it a parlor trick? Uh, are we about to be taken over by some demonic robots? Is this the beginning of the end? Is this the prelude to the Mark of the Beast? Um, yeah, share your thoughts, get in contact. That would be much appreciated. And uh, yeah, God willing, we, we can get further into this uh, into this subject. So um, for our final um, final topic, um, I, I, we're going to be revisiting uh, somewhat uh, previous uh, previous subject, um, but um, this this one came up um, 
for me uh, last week. Uh, this this um, concept of uh, a Hollywood Jesus or the prevalence of, of a Hollywood Jesus. Now, uh, I came across this article. Um, uh, Sound of Freedom reveals rising power of Jesus in Hollywood. Uh, and again, we, we can take the notion of, you know, there will be many in my name who come. And uh, I think this is an area of, of which we need discernment. And uh, just to take a look, take a bit, 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 bit more of a look at. And uh, so in, the, in this article, it says in Midlovian, Texas, about 25 miles south of Dallas, sits a 1200 acre summer camp run by the Salvation Army. Lately, the lake where kids normally canoe is doubling for the Sea of Galilee. On its banks is a replica of the biblical vi- village of Capernaum. This is where Jonathan Rumi when not interrupted by the occasional low-flying airplane, is portraying Jesus Christ in the fourth season of The Chosen. The crowd-funded series that that no one in traditional Hollywood saw coming has become so successful. The first three seasons garnered more than 110 million viewers worldwide. That The Chosen's worldwide distribution rights have now been sold to Lionsgate. We'll come back to them better known for mainstream blockbusters such as The Hunger Games. Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, one of the summer's biggest box office hits uh, and surprises uh, has been the faith-based action movie Sound of Freedom starring outspoken Catholic Jim Caviezel, who played the title role in Mel Gibson's 2004 Passion of the Christ. Now, uh, my intention isn't so much to, to focus on, on this premise again, because we, we covered it a, a, a little bit in the last show. Um, however, I did want to just highlight a couple of elements since the last show, um, which came to came to uh, which, which came to pass. Um, it says here uh, we've and again I don't want this to turn into the let's just hate the chosen and whatever like that's that's not it but I just wanted to just get in there and, and get out basically but um, emphasis uh, here that the chosen's worldwide distribution rights have now been sold to to Lionsgate now if we rewind and we were talking previously about the this film and the question marks in terms of those surrounding those that have uh, produced and starred in it. Now, if you actually um, follow, I, I always thought the best thing to do is to follow the money, uh, essentially. And if you take a look at the funding for this movie, um, things do get slightly more curious and, and a bit more um, uh, darker, shall we say. Um, so, says here about the, uh, the, the company Lionsgate. Now, Lionsgate has, has some links there's a, a couple of guys that actually help fund the uh, the Sound of Freedom movie. Um, one of these gentlemen is called Carlos Slim. Uh, another called uh, Frank Guistra. Um, now, Guistra has actual links to uh, the Royals, and um, s- these guys actually have affiliations with the the, the Clinton Foundation. Uh, links to the Podestas. And again, uh, that's a that's a whole broader subject. But uh, again, you follow the money and you start to to build a picture. Now, um, I believe it's Guistra. He owns um, or even started Lionsgate Films, and it says here Lionsgate uh, are in charge of the the, the distribution of um, of of the chosen and, and of these other films. Uh, Lionsgate also produced um, American Psycho. 
Uh, and, and curiously enough, Fahrenheit 9-11. And if you look at these guys, I mean, again, it's up to you. Like I said, it wasn't my intention to focus on this, but these guys are actually uh, heavily associated with, with traffickers. So you have traffickers funding a film about trafficking. So, yeah, uh, you, you do the math. Um, also, I wanted to just highlight, and again, I, I just want to shout out uh, Days of Noah, a uh, YouTube channel where this this information came to light for me, so I, I can't take any credit. And it's, this is one that you can look at in your own time. Um, this actually highlights the narrative of uh, the so-called... Uh, Republican and Democrats that the, the Republicans are, are, are the good guys and the Democrats are the evil no it's, it's this has been funded from both sides so um, you've also got uh, a company called Palantir um, which again do do this in your own time but there's a company called Palantir which is a, a military software company which they're linked to big data algorithms and, and heavy surveillance ties and uh, they're they're also linked to the to the right. They're linked to to Trump's administration. So on one side you've got the Podestas, the Clintons, and and that lefty. And then on the other side you've got this evangelical Trumpism, QAnon. Like it's two wings of the same bird. It's just this is an example of of what that actually looks like in real time. Now um, the uh, Palantir. Uh, they actually do a lot of work with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, or NCMEC uh, for short. Um, and they actually do a lot of work in and around child exploitation and, and trafficking. So on on the on the on a first look, it it, it looks uh, benevolent, but when you actually look further into Palantir, uh, its role that it's playing within terms of um, uh, you know surveillance. Uh, biometrics, uh, digital identity, which again, that's a whole whole narrative in itself. Um, I just wanted to show that and highlight that in terms of what we were talking about in the last episode, but that isn't my actual focus. So uh, as we go uh, further on, um, yeah, uh, who played the title role, Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ, as a federal agent on a mission. Uh, Jesus Revolution, a film released earlier this year about hippies turning to Christ in the 70s, surpassed expectations to become Lionsgate's biggest release in over four years. And here we have this, like, this depiction of uh, this Hollywood Jesus, this, uh, was it Big Lebowski, uh, peace man, like this softened, white, long-haired, hippy-dippy, Jesus, which is just another version of uh, of our saviour that is just not a, a correct depiction. Um, need more proof that Jesus is suddenly a very hot commodity in entertainment industry. Consider that MGM, a 21st century Fox, and Sony Pictures have launched their own faith-based studios. Meanwhile, renowned director Martin Scorsese is planning a new film about Jesus, and so is art director Terence Malick. And Netflix has said it is working on bringing more faith-based content to its platform as well. Now, I'm sorry, but you can't sit at two tables as far as I'm concerned, spiritually. And um, these guys are following the money. It's like, can they... <laughs> okay, are there people in and around Hollywood that maybe... Uh, experiencing repentance who are turning away who are sick 
to what the the, the second of, of the things that are taking place in this area and I, I don't know that's that's possible but at the same time like these guys are driven by profits and if if the name of Jesus can make them money then then they're they're all in so uh, the surge of content and viewership has surprised many experts given the long-term decline in the number of US adults who identify as Christian from 78 percent in 2007 to just 63 percent in 2021 according to the Pew Research Center some of the faithful are hoping that the renewed interest in Jesus in the mass market could also prompt a revival in faith one that they are now trying to drive with a one billion advertising campaign during uh, appearing during the Super Bowl on television networks and on billboards across America in an attempt to reframe Christianity for a modern age and reverse its waning following. <sighs> There's a tremendously powerful movement toward Jesus right now that most people aren't aware of, says Ted Bayer, the founder of Movie Guide, which hosts an annual gala that rewards films based on their biblical messaging. The nature of man is to be hostile to Christianity and to salvation. Very true. But there's more and more people in Hollywood moving in the other direction. Whether there is in fact an innate antagonism to Christianity in the entertainment industry or elsewhere is debatable. There's no evidence at all of any bias against Christians in Hollywood. Okay, uh, says Jason Bivins, a professor of... Uh, philosophy and religion at North Carolina State University. I do, however, think that there are a lot of people that get likes and so on by pretending to be oppressed. Um, here we got we got a, a cover of Newsweek. Jesus takes Hollywood again. This this Catholic uh, airy fairy depiction of of, of Yeshua. Um, this much at least seems clear. There has been a dramatic increase lately in films that portray the faith and its followers sympathetically. According to Movie Guide, the total percentage of movies with positive Christian redemptive content has soared from 10% in 91 to 59% in 2022. Although that figure includes films with inspirational or family-friendly messaging deemed consistent with Christian values, um, Offerings as diverse as Top Gun Maverick and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 make the grade along with overly faith-based content. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, it talks about, um, here we go, Jesus Revolution. It's a phenomenon. Jesus Revolution 2.0 could be happening. This is a moment in time when pop culture really needs Jesus. When we took drugs as hippies, it was to become aware, which didn't work. Today, they're taking drugs to escape. Again, very true. Um, but there are mixed signs on whether such, such expectations are realistic in a US society that is increasingly polarised between conservative and liberal social views on everything from abortion to transgender rights. Fractures are visible even among Christian groups with some ad ad identifying as traditionalists, some as Christian nationalists and others as progressives. Um, and Christian groups are among the first to point out that while Hollywood may embrace the cash from renewed interest in the Jesus story, that doesn't mean it will stop making movies that paint Christianity in a worse light. Well, I, I beg to differ because uh, Hollywood's on its ass. Uh, actors are like, it's not about the actor. It's about the, the influencer. It's about the YouTuber. It's about the, the individual. Like the, the power has shifted. Like, don't get me wrong, there, there are still um, people in and around that, that industry that have a, a, an influence, but it's, it's changing. So I believe that if Hollywood are, uh, uh, is, is dying or is dead, it will use anything in order to, to keep itself propped up. Um, let's have a look. Uh, 
if young people take it in a hippie Jesus direction, and it could be a net positive, if we're just considering tolerant, loving, revolutionary Jesus, that's something younger Americans are looking for. Now, what America needs is repentance. What America needs is the scriptures, the word, the word made flesh. What America needs is to, is, is to obey the commandments and get right with God, get back in line. What America needs is to stop killing babies. What America needs is to stop going out and killing individuals on a mass scale what america needs is is uh, an end to this this caricature of politics this caricature of legislation where human lives have been affected by greed by the federal reserve and all the corruptions that's taking place it doesn't need some hippie jesus saying that you can carry on in your sin and everything will be fine because it's not and you're on the brink you're on the brink and you want to talk to me about jonathan rumi's depiction of a Grave soaking, I'm sorry, but it's just, I smell a rat. (laughs) I smell a rat. And the disappointing thing is that I like good production. I like good biblical movies. And part of the disappointment just with The Chosen personally is that I thought, finally, here we are. We've got a production. We've got a show that's depicting uh, first century uh, uh, followers of of the way. And uh, it's just been littered with... uh, really insidious uh things and um you know i leave that up to the individual i leave it up to your discernment i'm not here to bash but again the context of the association of the money the association with other products um it just uh, just makes me feel um uh, very uncomfortable so um was there anything else on this uh yeah it just goes on ah i didn't know this but um dallas jenkins who who wrote uh, and produces and does his thing with The Chosen. Uh, his father, Jerry, wrote the best-selling Left Behind series of Christian novels. Now, for those younger in the faith or even younger in age, they may not be familiar w- with what uh, Left Behind is. It was this uh, uh, movie, TV show that depicts the rapture. And uh, again, I'm not bashing people's um, theology, but it's very heavily based on a, a pre-tribulation rapture, we're getting out of here scenario, and it... it it illustrates the dangers of when culture and society influences the eschatology of the bride, uh, because then um, it's it's culture, it's movies, it's it's uh, false doctrine that's actually dictating the way we respond to, to current events. Anyway, that's that's a different ramble, but I, d- I didn't know that. Um, and da, da, da. so yeah, it's just uh, an illustration of this. Um, this movement, um, so-called, uh, that's taken in, in part in Hollywood. And, um, yeah, uh, let me know what you think. Um, is this a counterfeit repentance? Is this uh, a flash in the pan? Is this something that's genuine? Is there a, is there a repentance? Is there something that's taken place in, in Hollywood, in America, that's actually genuine? Or is this just uh, the gravy train? Uh, taking the the name of Jesus in order to to prop itself up, I don't know. I thought it was interesting, and uh, with that being said, uh, that's everything for this episode. Um, like I said, it was action packed. Uh, if you made it all the way through, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, if there's anything you disagree with, if there's anything that you uh, think was thought provoking, uh, then please uh, get involved. Let me know, and uh, if you've got any suggestions. Um, any other directions that these uh, these topics lead you in, uh, please uh, give me a shout. Um, but for the most part, uh, I'm done. 
God willing, I'll see you again at some point soon. Uh, but this has been the Upper Room After Hours. Uh, shalom to you. Love to you all. God bless you all. And uh, see you soon. Thank you.